Not not necessarily safe, but what I mean is I, I have to consider a lot more comparing to if I just travel by myself. Yeah. And yeah. Because I I did I had a mistake last time when we were yeah. traveling with uh, our eldest child and my husband. Mm-hmm. I accidentally booked a love hotel, which I didn't know. Oh my god! Are you serious? <laughs> that is hilarious. So well, your child was like, well, your he was child three. Was he like, was three, so he yeah, we wouldn't so understand he, anything. Yeah, but my exactly. husband's like. We arrive at um, with a taxi, and he's like, "Okay, this looks a bit dodgy." <laughs> yeah, uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> yeah, but the people were nice. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, okay, that's a bit unusual." You know, a family with a young child. <laughs> so, did you? Um, yeah, what kind of kinky shit are they about to do? <laughs> <laughs> it was just very noisy. It was backed into like a Wait, night as in like noisy, as in like you heard people. Screwing. Oh no, we didn't really oh, hurt good. people, but we oh, you obviously so can tell it's a love hotel because yeah. the neon lights, the lighting, lights. and the setting yeah, yeah. of the lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. That <laughs> yeah. is hilarious. You never told me that story. So yeah, funny. so many things. It's just been so busy over the years. I, you, you know, you've forgotten about it. Um, should we jump right into it? We were going to talk about our agendas, but I think we'll just. Jump, jump right, right into it. it. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I am um, very lucky and have been able to commence the new column uh, at my masthead, Women's Agenda, yes. um, where I get to watch a night and film from the 90s every week and oh, nice. really kind of assess it through the lens of today. Um, right. And the column is called Classic or Problematic. And this week, I'll I started off with Mrs. Doubtfire, which I believe I perhaps had talk, spoken about briefly with you, Helen. Yeah, but yeah. Um, since then, I've been going down the rabbit hole and kind of realising the comfort of early 90s films. And I realised mm. actually, Helen, this morning when I was going through it, so, so far I've been watching Sister Act, Sister Act 2. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, both early 90s films. Dave mm. and Kevin Clyde, Sigourney Weaver of comedy from 1993. Um, I kind of initially wanted to read really focus my viewing on only 1993 films okay because there's just so much there but um my editor has ex- um encouraged me to expand and broaden the scope um so uh but what i realized this morning helen when i was going through the list i was like why is it what is it about 92 93 that i'm particularly fascinated about and i realized it's actually the 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 years in which we immigrated Mm-hmm. from yep. Taiwan to Australia so maybe mm-hmm. and I was like four or five years old so I don't actually remember any of it but maybe there's some sort of like there's a sort of subconscious part of me that that kind of marks that time in my life you know 92 93 as something that had a very big psychological emotional effect in me that I haven't actually psychoanalyzed or haven't actually like kind of unpacked and the way I unpack it and the way I'm drawn back to those years, those, those the period of 92, 93 is through movies, mm. you know, and it's not like I watched those movies at, you know, when I was four or five years old, I was too young, obviously, but um, there's a pull about that, those 18 to 24 months, there's a pull that, gra- that I sort of um, unconsciously gravitate, gravitate towards, mm. you know? Yeah. I think, those that 18 months is quite crucial for our family but then like you said those movies were out in 93 but mm. we probably watched them much later much later like yeah, say 96 right. or maybe yeah. 95 when you know we when they came out on tv yeah yeah that's right yeah, exactly. where they came out on saturday or sunday night 8 p.m you know those movie nights yeah, where the 8 30 yeah, yeah, 8.30, sorry, um, where family just sit together and, you know, you watch a film and you can stay up late. I think those are quite crucial, the fact that many people don't realise that, apart from school, television is probably the second source that for immigrant kids to absorb yes. the local culture. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, not so much local. I wouldn't say local. I would say like Western culture because yeah, Western. Yeah, you know, very obviously, you know, white dominated, and the movies as you've mentioned really remind me. You know, our family favorites will include the ones that our dad got the VHS <laughs> while you were sleeping and while you were sleeping. Dumb, yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Usually, you know, comedy, silly kind of. Um, 
And also, what we were watching, um, Jim Carrey was a huge hit yeah. back in the mid early nineties. I'll say early nineties, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that made a real big impact for us because that's where we have entertainment. And I think I'm really enjoying um, Sister Act. Not into and I'm an adult that I realized that how much it impacted me because Sister Act is um, Whippy Goldberg will probably be one of the very few women of color that I've seen on TV back at nineties. Mm. Back in the nineties, yeah, yeah. I don't remember seeing any people like Australian, truly Aussie people of color that appeared on TV. I mean, it still doesn't appear. <laughs> It's still very rare. Yeah, let's not let's not like you know, let's not deny um, what what is truthful here. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I I agree with everything you said. Um, and we really were shaped by American culture, weren't we? Because mm, definitely, yeah, very much. Yeah, so. like where we came from. Uh, Taiwan is also greatly shaped by U.S. Mm-hmm, culture. Mm-hmm. And um, when we came to Australia, I don't. I think. I think what was most accessible or at least what was um, sort of um, the culture in which our family, our parents have shifted was uh, around um, American values and American kind of like pop culture. Mm. And, um, and like you said, a lot of the movies were um, in the early 90s um, that came out in the America in the early 90s were starting to be shown on TV in the mid 90s, which is when we started kind of getting older and getting, you know, being able to watch mm-hmm. these movies. And um, I had so much fun. I had so much fun this week um, watching Sister Act. I, I probably yeah, I, love um, it. I, I spent about two or three days just watching the movie um, and having it in the background because thankfully it's showing on, it's streaming on Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like singing all the songs from the top of my I know. Yeah. And um, I, I, so I watched Sister Act, Sister Act 2, I delayed um <laughs> until maybe two days ago because I really, I was so excited about watching it. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't hold as, like it doesn't, it wasn't as good as the first one in my opinion. I was so riveted by the first one and it's, uh, I think it's a queer story. I've written a, um, I, I, I've written a um, review about it, a new mm-hmm. member's agenda that will hopefully come mm-hmm. out soon. But um, I think it's a, um, the best queer, sort of underrated queer uh, movie from the okay. 90s. Queer mm-hmm. because, um, there's a lot of kind of like underlying um, undertones of um, queer sexuality between um, Sister Mary Roberts, who Mary Mac- Mac- McKenna plays. Mm-hmm. She's the sort of redhead with the fringe, the very shy, docile one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so she and Whoopi Goldberg have a kind of, um, I think, a kind of romance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, there's a scene where, she, you know, Sister Mary Roberts, she comes and comes into Whoopi Goldberg's bedroom and gives her um, uh, like a daisy alarm, mm-hmm. and like I, I I always saw it as a very sweet gesture as a kid. Yes. But you know, seeing mm-hmm. it through the lens of an adult, you 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 notice a lot of things mm-hmm. about it, um, and and I think it's just like uh, like I I um I was brought to tears so many times this week when I watched it um, in the performance in the um, musical numbers mm-hmm. because like it was like it was just so emotional seeing these women supporting other women and like for that to be purely the the central core spiritual core of the movie is a celebration of not just female friendship but female love and romance mm-hmm. yeah. which wasn't able to be explicitly stated you know in 92 Back in and like you said I think the reason why I got very teary when I watched the movie several times this week I realized is because it kind of captures the spirit that, like, I think when you watch a movie when you're a kid, when you're a young person, you watch a movie and you absorb it in a way that you can, that you, you absorb it in your body and in your kind of cells and in your heart in a way that kind of stays with you. Mm. And I think watching it now as a 30, mid 30 person, mid 30s person, like watching it now, I felt this week um, the sort of um, small child I was kind of, surface and the feelings Uh, I had when I was a child resurfaced and then like um along with that the innocence of what I believed when I was like seven eight nine years old when I watched Mm -hmm. this film you know um that that all kind of rose to the top again and Mm -hmm. and what I mean by the innocence is that um when I watched this as a kid you see this black woman 
um, being a friend and being a leader in a, in a leadership role in this film in front of a team of white women, right? Mm -hmm. And like the film is really, the comfort of the film also is, um, is what, what, what is comfortable about the film is the fact that it's kind of raceless as in it's race blind. And so they never make a point of Whoopi Goldberg being black. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and so, when I watched it, I got teary because, like, it reminded me of a time when I was young, and like, race was not a thing. Like, I didn't understand. I, I, I didn't know the trauma of race. I didn't know the realities of what it means to be a person of color. And so, it was so like, on so many levels, it was so emotional to watch this film because not only are you consuming the story on the screen, you're also kind of you're also kind of reliving the um, psychic kind of um, energy that you had as a child, mm -hmm. you know, and that was very emotional. Mm. I think what you said about um, race blind, I, I kind of got to be, I'm going to be disagreeing with that because I think there's a bit of subtlety in the first film where there was kind of like a, rebuff from the principal nun i can't remember her name mary they're yeah. all mary's yeah, yeah mother superior nun. maggie 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 smith maggie smith yes yeah, which is played by maggie smith i think she yeah. kind of didn't want to accept the request from the black cop because she's going to accept another black woman into her her group i think there's a little bit of subtlety um not very not shown very direct but at the same time, I think there's an intention for it because after all, it's a religion place. They want to present it as the way that they a kind of like a representative of inclusion of everyone. That's why, you know, I guess I don't know how the script was initially going to present it, but I guess that's why they created this black character to be accepted into the all white None. Yeah, I actually, um, I actually, yeah, I actually disagree with you because mm. um, I, I saw the scene. I, I don't think the black cop um, played by Bill Nunn, um, I, uh, Detective Souther, Souther mm. um, I don't think he actually initially has any meetings or scenes with um, Maggie Smith's character. I think it's the, the white male um, kind of uh, sort of uh, archdiocese kind of main priest guy who has a conversation with Maggie Smith. Mm -hmm. who says we have a new person we need to we need to protect her um and in turn the um the reno police station are going to make a donation to us mm -hmm. and um i saw i watched the scene a few times where maggie smith does meet whoopi goldberg for the first time and i think um i think her abrasion her kind of abrasiveness her whole reaction is actually um against not not um not her skin not not her skin color but um her identity her hair, actually her oh, hair but her hair will be—it's a—it's a characteristics of the black woman. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, to me, it feels as though Maggie Smith's character is more kind of reaction. She has a more abrasive reaction towards just the fact of her personality, um, personality, <laughs> and her like openness and her yeah. kind of like a um because like you know they call her a lounge singer you know for mm -hmm. for instance in the beginning, and um and. You know, this this role was initially supposed to was initially given to Bette Midler. Oh, who, okay. yeah. Who um, I thought would have been actually fine oh, in this role. I can totally yeah, see Bette Midler yeah, pull, uh -huh. pull this off. Yeah. But I'm so glad that Whoopi put Goldberg did because, yeah, like we said, um, you know, in the early '90s, how many women of color were in the you know the protagonists of a Hollywood block, Hollywood, you know, mm -hmm. um, big movie um sort of a uh, big crowd pleaser um, like in a way that didn't make her the romantic lead you know uh -huh. yeah yeah um my daughter I could, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could talk about sister act forever forever honestly. yeah i know i understand yeah my daughter watched that um a couple of months ago yeah and she loved it i, I don't know good. if we mentioned it in our previous episode but i think we did yeah, we did briefly mention it, and she she loved the uh, sister act, and we told her that you know there's a second one, and she immediately wanted to watch it. Yeah, and she can pinpoint a lot of things that, as a child of nine years old last year, mm -hmm. I didn't think that I would picked up when I was nine. And yeah, like what the lens that she's seen, she says, um, 
Like the second one, she will question that. Oh, how come it's a school for mostly black children? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, she was asking um, why don't they have to? Why, why do they like? Because she was not grow. She didn't grow up in the environment of religion, so she was wondering why the nuns have to teach in school. Like she doesn't get the concept of you know maybe religion schools or. Church that provides right. charity for education at the local community um, yeah. service, so she didn't get things like that, and she just really enjoyed it. She said that the music was great. She said that she enjoyed watching the、um, a comedy set out between the nuns in the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And then when I ask her, oh, okay, so which which character do you like the best? And she says, <laughs> um. What's the name, Mary? The one, Mary the Patrick, one that, the big one, the big the one. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, that one. Yeah, she's hilarious. Plays, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she loves her. Yeah, yeah,、so、she's、funny. the best. She's so good, and、yeah. I had so much fun writing this, writing, writing my feelings and thoughts about such a classic. I, and、uh, I, I'm just looking forward to you know、um, exploring the the best films from the nineties,、uh, and you know、um, being able to you know. Understand history, I guess modern history through the lens of Hollywood films. It's、mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so from my side,、um, I've finished Sun Mao's、uh, stories of Sahara this week. Mm-hmm.、Uh, mm-hmm. It's a translator work by Mike,、uh, translated by Mike Fool, Bloomsbury Publication. I had a lot of feelings and thought after I read it. It's very. It, it really differed when I first start reading the book. It really transformed you, take you to that desolate place of a Sahara desert when you read her work. Even after, say, you know, almost fifty years now that the、um, work was first published in Chinese, and a lot of things that. You don't understand. You had、um, the translator's note was the was good because he he wrote about where that he wants to maintain the essence from the seventies, the writing、mm-hmm. styles from the seventies, but also he needs to consider how is how the narrative whether or not it's appropriate. Some some of the、mm-hmm. narratives is definitely not appropriate nowadays if you speak、um, politically in politically correctness form. But I think Mike Food. Did a great job of translating some mouths stories of Sahara, and I honestly want you know every woman should read it because it's about a woman's not only solo travel because she wrote about days where she was with her husband in Sahara, but a lot of encounters that she had in 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 the year in living in Sahara desert, and it was just、um, such a mesmerizing read for me. And I passed on to my daughter, who is ten. <laughs> But I, because I think everything in that book is very appropriate for her to read. Mm-hmm, there's, mm-hmm. there's no nothing about sex. There's a bit of a there's a bit of violence,、um, but I think it's not very gruesome, and she can understand it、mm. about racial tensions、um, with local people. And、uh, I passed on to her, and she said that oh, I told her that oh, it's a it's a it's like kind of like a travel journal of a woman, and she goes oh okay, I want to read it. She like she likes reading stories of women and girls, so hopefully,、um, if she doesn't get bored of it, she will probably finish it, and we can talk about it. Yeah, so fantastic. I want to quickly mention a movie that we saw.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a really it's a rather、uh, silly incident that happened to our family last weekend.、Um, What happened? So on on last Thursday, my husband came in while I was working, and he asked me that. The latest Ant Man movie is coming out soon. Do you do you want me? Do you want to go and see it with us? The like, latest what? The latest Ant Ant Man Three Quantum Mania.、Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a Marvel、oh、movie.、God. You know, it's oh my it's, god, it's not your it's not cup of, it's not your cup of tea. Not、yeah. at all. Um, so he asked me. I said,、oh, okay, then we can go and see it over the weekend. And then he he booked a ticket for Sunday. <laughs> we turned up the cinema, bought the popcorns and bought the drinks. Sit down. It was at the V Max, you know, those、mm-hmm. the biggest screen in the cinema, 
And I was just thinking, okay, is this the first weekend? Because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. There were only about like two or three other couples in the mm-hmm. like this humongous cinema. And then I was thinking, oh, okay, maybe because it's the first session of the day, ten o'clock, no one's yeah. fine. Okay, so we sit down and watch the like the trailers, the the ads before the movie, and the movie starts. And then, <laughs> two minutes into the movie, my husband picked up his phone because uh, on the screen he appeared one of this old character, um, old actor. I can't remember his name. Carrie something. He's the lead for Princess Bride. Yeah. yeah. Um, he said, oh, that's him, you know, carry on. I said, yeah, okay, shut up. Don't, you know, he, 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 he tends to, this is a problem when you watch movies at your home too long and you go to cinema, you start wanting to chat. Right, and, you know, right. And like that. Uh-huh. Then he start acting weird. He's like, okay, this is a bit strange. He took out his phone. I thought that he was going to look up IMDB because that's yeah. what he does. He's got this really bad habit. Both of us do. Like when we saw someone on the screen that we are familiar with, we want to go and yeah, read up about course. it. Everyone has that, by yeah. the way. He took out his phone and stopped pressing it. I said, put your phone away. You know, I kind of like slapping on his shoulder. I said, don't do that. And he goes, okay, I'm going to go out. Then he told me that, okay, it's, it's a bit strange. And he walked out and he came back and he said, that, this is not the movie that we're supposed to see. So what did you end up seeing? <laughs> What, oh, what, what session? What session were you guys in? No, this it's it's an it's this like spy movie with Hugh Grant, Jason, what's his name? Jason Staten or Stelton? Jason Sudeikis. Um, like this, you know, the bald head, the guy who does all the, a lot of martial arts and um action no, movies. Yeah, know. um, Hugh Grant and just a, like a British spy sort of movie. A new one. Yeah, it's it's a it's a relative new one, I think, but it's towards the end of its um, you running know, time. Yeah, running time. Yeah, but we watched five minutes into it, and then my husband came back and said that, and he whispered to me, "This is the wrong session. We have to go." Uh huh. <laughs> so he turned out. He bought the tickets for two weeks. Um, two weeks after uh, last Sunday. Right. <laughs> he got so he, he got, he his got dates wrong. He got the dates wrong. Yeah, so um, we got out and my daughter was upset for like 10 minutes. And then she says, oh, it's okay. At least we got popcorn and Fanta. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what did you guys end up doing? We went up, went home and watched Wakanda Forever. You, you watched <laughs> what? Wakanda Forever. The, oh, right, the, yes, the yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which is another movie that's not Jesse's cup of tea. Oh, I just, uh, I have nothing yeah, for Marvel. You, you, I have you nothing. nothing. They're, they're like a disease, honestly. They don't, Marvel movies have uh, infected Hollywood like cancer. Mm, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, yeah. But it's just, you know, a genre that my my husband and my daughter loves to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I actually initially didn't want to watch this movie and we, we talked out a very long time to decide to see it because um, of what? Wesley Morris said on the podcast, still processing. Cause there were what did he say about it? They oh, said about it, it being like just two hours of mourning Chadwick Boseman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, well, actually, it was only like first 10 minutes about mourning of, you know, yeah. Chadwick Boseman's death. You know, you would think that how would it work without Chadwick? Yeah. yeah. Almost the essence of the Black Panther. Yeah. And it's just a very. So I, I didn't like the script at all. Mm, mm. Yeah, the positive part will be probably the strong whites and very tender and affectionate black female characters. Yeah. And the script is, it, it just, I don't like the plot at all. Yeah, right. because you end up seeing two sort of like the minority nations fighting each other because, you know, a, a great white nation provoked the conflict between them. Yeah, yeah. So there's a uh, spoilers here. If anyone hasn't watched it, you know, don't listen to the next two minutes. Uh, there's a sacrifice to queen. You know, that it, it almost feels like there's a essential death of a black woman to allow people to realize the humanity to come together. Mm. Yeah. So I, I don't like that. But doesn't sound I, very feminist. Yeah, I, I feel I feel it's very conflicted for me to decide whether or not that the movie is reflecting on a reality, which is pretty much it is. Mm. And also 
my desire of to watch something that is more positive for people of color but at the end there is a slightly positivity but yeah it's just that the conflict between two minority nations and the loss of a matriarch figure to me if it reflects the reality of our world which i hate to see and like i say i'm in such contradicting feeling about this like part of me think it's a good thing that it's portraying the real world but part of me hate to see that the reality depicted on the silver screen like i just i really desire for a plot where a black woman don't have to die whereas you know the real villains in this case the americans gets the punishment they deserve mm. but at mm. the end of the day this film is not about that it is more about how fucked up the you know the insanity to fight for powers you know mm. it's about how power corrupts yeah 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 well i will not be watching that <laughs> but um i do want us to say um this week i had discovered and i rarely ever discover something new that gets me really excited so i'm really excited to talk about this new series on netflix that I have literally been obsessed over for the last few days. It is called Kunk on Earth. It's um, Diane Morgan, uh, a comedian actor from the UK, basically taking the piss out of David Attenborough-esque uh, <laughs> nature documentaries. Um, and it's only five. It's only, there's only five episodes so far. Um, it's, so it's a mini series. They're only 28 minutes long per episode, and I have never laughed so forcefully in <laughs> in so long in, at such frequency just mm -hmm. uh, i've i've literally watched the first episode i think three or four times now oh wow is it very because short it's yeah it's three um it's 28 minute episodes oh that's all right yeah that's yeah good. and um you just you have to watch it with your daughter i i hope you okay. guys will understand the comedy of it i know you will i'm not sure if it's appropriate for a 10 year old i feel like it is <laughs> uh, i feel like it is yeah um uh, you just you have to go and watch it like right after we record go and watch it is so good okay. um it, the, the script is hilarious that um it's a mockumentary basically and diane morgan production it is yeah okay yeah, diane, yeah, no, no, diane morgan's um deadpan face is just <laughs> the most hilarious thing <laughs> i have seen or like forever I'm, I'm very excited about the show and uh yeah watch it watch it it's just um, unbelievably good it's good natured i love it is it similar to the setting of how they do um abbott's elementary you know like a monkeymentary oh no not really they um place? no no it's very different to abbott elementary's okay. tone okay. Um, it's much it's trying to be um taking the piss out of serious kind of documentary makers and uh -huh. like shows about human history and civilization that we grew up watching you know uh -huh. um watch it it's I, I cannot recommend it enough mm, it's okay. unbelievably funny okay so we'll take a quick break now and when we come back we will be talking about some uh news items of the week and then we will uh, and then we'll be talking about you know something about valentine's day uh yes and galentine's day Hi there! If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue and advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So we're back. Uh, this week we've had um, a, uh, a, a two old white women who one of them has inspired us, another one has irritated us. <laughs> Let's start with the irritated woman first. Oh, really? I want to start with the positive okay. one. Okay, start with the positive one. Off you go. 
Okay, so uh, the Guardian has come out a series of like short, I'll say they're essays, um, inviting writers and people in the media to write about what is happiness to them. And I actually only read, uh, shamefully, <laughs> only read um, one writer's essay because I think um, not only that she inspired me a lot, and also I really liked her style of writing, um, which is Helen Garner. I just want to read out uh, what she wrote in her piece. Uh, for her, happiness is more like the things that Christians call grace. You can't earn it, you can't strive for it. It's not a reward for virtue, it exists all right. It will be given to you, but it's fluid, it's evasive, it's out of reach. It's something you glimpse in the corner of your eyes until one day you're out to your neck in it. And before you've had time to take this big gasp and name it, it's gone. So I'm not going to, so I'm not going to spend what's left in my life hanging around waiting for it. I'm going to settle for small random steps of extreme interestingness, moments of intense awareness of the things that I'm about to lose and the gladness that they exist. Things that remind me of other things, tiny things, words that people choose, their accidental biblical turns of phrase, hand letter signs quoted from books, offhand remarks that make me think of dead people or of living ones I cannot longer stand the sight of. And then she lists, uh, 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 you know, the things that she consider of what she just described. And to my surprise, she lists um, one of her so-called uh, extreme interestingness for her was the surprise of feeling my face soften at the thin music of Japanese series Midnight Diner. <laughs> so she watches Midnight Diner as well. So I'm so happy that an 80-year-old white woman recognizes this uh, Japanese TV series that um, we have been watching, you know, the past few weeks. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, my daughter actually mentioned the theme music as well. She said that it feels like a very comfort sort of homecoming um, warm music when you hear it at the very beginning of the series. So I can totally understand what Helen Garner was saying in her essay. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I That's love that. That's such her. beautiful yeah. words. The ex what, is she, what was the word you used? The ex she used extreme interestingness. Yeah, extreme interestingness. I love that. I love yeah. that. I cannot agree because more. that's what like, keep you alive. I think. Well, yeah, and that's yeah. what makes someone interesting is when they're interested and they can see things that are like kind of yeah, like interesting people are like an interestingness is just so much more uh, like it's it's so much more interesting, I guess. Than, yeah, but you like also have else. to find that interestingness out of someone because sometimes yeah. some people regard that if they tell a story, they're like, oh, there's nothing about it, it's not interesting, then I won't talk about it. But I guess story sharing is such an important aspect in our life that it connects people and it also kind of you pass on the stories as well to someone else. It's not just that you should keep it to yourself and I think um, – it's so imperative not to only for everyone to talk about what they do every day and what had happened. Sometimes when you take a perspective on your own, you might not think it's interesting. But when you have the ability to communicate to someone, like what we do here every day, every Friday, like Jess and I, we talk about things that we hope to eat. Not so much inspire, but we just want to share our stories and hopefully someone will find us interesting. <laughs> um are you a fan of Helen Garner Helen um I would say that I like I'm not like a fan fan but I like to read what she write yeah mm. I've only read like yeah I've only read House of Grief and I really okay. like her style oh oh it's incredible yeah I um I came to her um in when I was like in the my early 20s, I think I was 21, 22 when I first read The Spare Room mm. and I didn't actually read it. I listened to it on audiobook mm -hmm. um, and I distinctly remember the the book while I was driving to Meriden. I was teaching at Meriden at that point and I remember the mornings when I would drive towards like Strathfield and like I have, have that story of these two friends 
mm-hmm. um, kind of percolating in my mind. It's very vivid for me, the 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 story of how I came to Helen Garner. And then obviously, you know, um, subsequent years while she published, you know, a nonfiction, um, I think her best work is um, is This House of Grief, mm-hmm. mm. um, which which is really, I don't know, I feel like um, she's often called the Australian legend, but um, I don't think she's given the sort of um, overwhelming and um, universal pop, popular love that people like, you know, Trent Dalton or Craig oh, Sylvia yeah. are given. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Helen Garner is a genius. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. Um, I have tried to read all her. I went uh, a few years ago, I went um, on a holiday with a dear friend of mine who's several decades older than me, and she had an entire bookshelf full of Helen Garner's wow. past works. And I, I have to say, I didn't resonate with all of them. The Children's Bark was, like, fucking weird. A lot of <laughs> stuff that Helen Garner has written just doesn't resonate with me. But but that's okay. Like, I don't love um, everything. Like, I don't yeah, – the, the only writers who I love universally are people who don't actually – who are not known for books. So, like, Gio Tolentino, I love universally. Wesley Morris, I love universally. But they haven't written like books, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have, who people who are like, people who produce books, um, don't always like. It's the the strike rate is not a hundred percent. Yeah, for me, like Katie Kitamura, I love a separation. I love intimacies, but I tried reading Long uh, Gone to the Forest. Um, I didn't like it. I tried reading. Um, What's her other book? There's another book of hers um, before before she wrote A Separation that, uh, yeah, I just didn't resonate with. So um, Helen Garner, like, yeah, she's a legend. And I really, I really love what she's written in this, um, you know, in this article, kind of mm-hmm. reminding us what, what, uh, what to look out for. Yeah, what to look out for and don't really overestimate yeah as in don't don't expect too much of happiness you know you shouldn't really seek not saying that you shouldn't seek for happiness but i think the idea of seeking happiness is too overrated i think personally Mm. for me Mm. yeah like seek for extreme interestingness yeah yeah um from one to another um (laughs) we're going to move (laughs) From one side of inspiration to another, um, to the other side opposite, um, someone who has not inspired us this week, uh, is a opinion piece by Jane Caro, uh, published in The Age slash The Herald. Um, gee, they're coming out with a lot of clickbait pieces, haven't they? Like, I actually looked up to her before. Is in yeah. Some of her views about school, Australian schoolings and, yeah, stuff. But, yeah, it's a bit disappointing. Yeah. So, um, basically, um, last Sunday, um, Jane Caro published an opinion piece that um, really got off a lot of people's backs in the wrong way. Um, It basically was a piece about um, her husband coming back from a trip to the the butchery, the butcher. Bakery. I think it was bakery. Bakery. Who even goes to the bakery anymore? I do. do. Oh, bakery. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I retract, redact that <laughs> comment. Um, I, in my head, it's like the butcher. Oh, oh some people still go to butchers. Anyway, butcher yeah. or bakery, who cares? Yeah, this is not the point of the story. Um, and um, the her husband was very flustered, apparently, and he was upset because the butcher, baker guy, um, introdu- like um, when he was serving him, was um, serving Jane Caro's husband, said, and what can I get you, young man? <laughs> And apparently that just made him very upset because this guy, Jane Caro's husband, is 65, so clearly not young. Mm-hmm. And then, like, so that that was, like, maybe one-tenth of the story. And then, like, the rest of the opinion piece was just, like, statistics about how old people are marginalised in this country. And I read it just thinking, like, and and the thing is, I looked through the comments. There were two at that point. I read it on Sunday. On Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. I read it on Sunday, mm-hmm. and it had only been published for a few hours, and there was already like two hundred and thirty-three wow. comments. So I was like, <laughs> I wonder what other people think. And I, I'm thankfully, thankfully, unlike the um, comments that were um, underneath uh, Elizabeth Flux's piece, 
Thankfully, um, the comments underneath Jane Cara's piece were comments, a lot of them echoed my feelings, which mm -hmm. was that um, this is a lot of a reaction and a lot of words to a very, very small comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? What do you think? I, I have to, uh, I'm a bit neutral in this, in this, in this, um, what Jane has said about her husband's uh incident because firstly i think from her age position she probably feel like that kind of it also depends what kind of tone that the baker was given out mm. what sort of vibe was it like patronizing or condescending or was he just a you know a very friendly serving kind of attitude and also because she was not it's not her first-hand experience, so I don't know if she's right, right. trying to support her husband in in so that's why she wrote this piece, or she was urged by editor to write something very uh, not scandalous, but something that is like a clickbait. Click <laughs> And then she, because of a position of age, that she is more suitable and appropriate to write about ageism. Um, personally, I don't like people calling me young lady, you know, or it, it kind of juvenile, uh, infantile of my position. And that's, but that's it. I, I don't think if someone's just like casually saying that and if they don't mean anything, I, I don't want to push so much of the political correctness to that person and say mm. that oh it's so offensive you know you're going to correct what you said be respectful to me because i'm older than you yeah i don't think it needs to get to that yeah level what about you well i just thought um i feel actually a bit embarrassed for for jane Carr and her husband at the moment because like mm -hmm. the fact of her having put so much intellectual and emotional energy into writing this big, long piece. It wasn't that long, really, sorry. But, like, just the fact that she thought it was um, was one very small comment was enough to warrant such a huge reaction, mm. to me, basically tells me that she and her husband haven't actually faced real ages. A lot. Yeah, well, no, just, like, any other kind of discrimination. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, to for her to have spoken out about this right mm -hmm. just means that she and her husband have actually not encountered a lot of discrimination just mm -hmm. um when it comes to the kind of levels like i i in my head there's like a different degrees of discrimination and i'd put this at the very 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 minor mm. you know yeah. level yeah and the fact that she has reacted and her husband reacted so strongly about it just means that um yeah, just means that they're they're very fragile and that they haven't actually come across like they've never had their race um you know they've never had their race questioned or like um they've never had any kind of other forms of discrimination mm -hmm. um that's what it speaks to that's what it says to me just the fact that she has decided to put so much like opinion pieces um like I don't know about other people. Maybe it's different for people who like have columns, like you know Richard Glover or, um, um, or Jane Caro. I think she's like a, probably a frequent columnist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so maybe they like don't put a lot of effort into it. But me, if I was going to write a column, uh, it's a, it's often on a subject or an incident that I have spent a lot of time thinking about, right? Mm -hmm. um, and for it's her, not something that happened within like the space of five minutes going to the bakery. <laughs> yeah, and so for the mo for the for just the the like the fact of this piece of writing to have existed, I think for me like speaks more about the lack or the absence of more severe forms of discrimination that they have mm -hmm. able they have managed to not experience or just haven't experienced because of their straight you know sexuality because of their race because mm -hmm. of their um wealth you know their yeah, class yeah, you yeah. know yeah i just like oh, i feel i feel bad i feel bad for them i feel bad for them going through what 
I think is like pretty probably pretty bad like backlash at the moment. Yes. I think they're, yes. they're probably going through a tough time this week. Mm-hmm. Like having, yeah. I hope they have like the support around them that, you know, they probably do, um, hopefully. But yeah, I, I just, when I saw this, I was just like, I cannot believe this was it, this piece. This was, was published. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> like that, well, just that, the fact that you, yeah. the fact that you thought that this minor comment from a service person mm-hmm. warranted warranted a think piece in one of the biggest publications in Australia. Mm. I'm a bit, I'm a bit embarrassed for her. Mm. I'm okay for her to talk about ageism, but I think if someone who actually experienced the real reality of ageism and read that piece, they will be like, what? (laughs) They'll be like, Okay, right, so you're really right. offended because you've been called a young man. Yeah. Yeah. Part of me still think that, oh, yeah, I can, I can feel for them. They don't, like, the, the, the husband doesn't want to be called young because he, he knows that he's aged, you know, maybe gracefully or he's, um, he's respecting his own age and he doesn't want to be called young man. But then again, Sometimes I think at this stage, it's very hard to tell one's age if you maintain yourself very healthily and your appearance. A lot of people cannot tell, you know, certain people's age. So it's it's hard to, yeah, I don't know where to stand in this, but I, I can see where you're coming from that this piece of opinion was published it really speaks of the privilege of the position that they can find this sort of thing offensive and like i don't mind that she kind of goes on and relate to other stuff of ageism but i don't think that incident really was really that relevant mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i i don't know what other people think but because i'm not at their age yet and again i can't speak for all the people. yeah 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 how they feel. just yeah yeah just yeah i understand what you're saying just um just the fact that they were rattled by by that it's kind of yeah just speaks more about what they have experienced than anything else you know mm-hmm. yeah okay uh let's take another quick break and when we come back we want to finish our episode with some conversations around valentine's and the idea of romance yeah and the illusion of romance as well. <laughs> Valentine's Day versus Galentine's Day. <laughs> we'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. Uh, next Tuesday is, of course, Valentine's Day. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're single, you probably care about it um, in the sense only because, you know, um, it is another reminder of your lack of romance in your life, uh, <laughs> lack of kind of sexual romance, I guess. Um, if you're with a partner, it probably doesn't matter. You're, you're, you might be like Gia Tolentino and not give a shit about these mm-hmm. days. Gia writes very proudly in her book that she and her partner don't celebrate things, don't give each other presents, things like that. Mm. Um, Valentine's Day, yeah, um, I... I do wonder, like every year around this time, there's always think uh, like kind of opinion pieces, noise. I'd say internet noise about what's why is it not important anymore? Is outdated? Romantic. I want to talk about romantic love, I guess, today versus platonic love, mm-hmm. and how you know romantic love is still very much um, seen for women as the superior love, the one that you ought to pursue most aggressively. The one that's seen as the highest status, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess why it's now considered toxic. I say I think in the last five years there have been a, quite a lot of noise, noisy articles written. And you know, I obviously put myself in this category. I've written a lot of stuff, and that has contributed to the noise online. Um, but yeah, I feel like I cared about it more when I was single only because like it felt like I was like oh 
it seems like some I should I should do something or like it, when it came I remember thinking like oh I want I, I wish I could spend it with someone um but uh but now there's this thing I, I don't know how long it's been going on for um in the last few years something called Galentine's Day mm-hmm. gal girlfriends celebration girlfriend. and that is celebrated on the 13th of February mm-hmm. um which I think is a much more interesting um was a much more interesting and fun perhaps um mm. day to mm. celebrate your friendships um what do you usually do on valentine's day helen because you've been married for more than half your life now yes. um does it mean anything to you anymore um it really depends on my mood of that week mm. <laughs> and also seeing what's what's out there i like to observe the capitalism world for this, you know, I like to kind of rant about in every scenario, every celebration, it has to be always been commercialized and capitalized uh, in making money. Needless to say that I, re- I refrain myself to participate in those kind of things. But then funny enough this year, because our local bakery, again, bakery, <laughs> uh, the one that we all love, Burn Honey, you've been mm-hmm. there and they have the best quiche and also yeah. so not tarts in the world. Yeah. Um, they came out with this Valentine cake that I really want to eat. Not because it's beautiful Valentine's, because they just was selling it during this week. So that's what I'm gonna do. And I just think it's like to me, romance it's it's like an illusion for most people and the social exploitation of romance is that it's supposed to be forever, but then no one really tells you how do you maintain and manage that relationship forever. It's always like, oh, yeah, marriage or you've been in a monogamy relationship is supposed to be forever, which is quite, like you said, a very toxic idea that's stuck in a lot of people's mind and refuses to find solutions when there's problems in the relationship you just say that oh as long as we're together that's fine mm. so that we're constantly in conflict and i hate that um so i i always feel like romance is a very illusional um creation for women to become a property of man um that being say of course it's the system of patriarchy that created mar- marriage and, and romance and romance obviously yeah so when you think about when you think about romance it's often like all romantic comedies it's often um bigger gestures or like it's often at the end the male doing something to the woman mm-hmm. you know when you think of like oh that's romantic yeah. it's it's almost like a, it's always a gesture it's a, it's, a, it's a gesture committed by the man you know mm-hmm. like ro- romance is often just like men exercising some sort of behavior and women being the receivers you know mm-hmm. and but i agree with you that, i agree with you for that moment because in long term it's it's a reality in the long term the relationship in the cis heterosexual couples the women are the ones who are most likely to be disadvantaged you hear stories well, about like yeah. well that that's why romance is like um often when someone like the whole idea of romance is like it's like it is kind of like a power play it's like mm-hmm. the man yep. like yep. like when when you think about the most romantic gestures you think the proposal right so it's often like the man um doing something for the woman mm-hmm. and then um it comes at the very beginning of a relationship mm. and it's often like they only have to do it, a very short time yeah they? yeah and then um once a man like i guess like nabs a woman you know gets her to marry him then, then <laughs> yeah no 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 i don't mean like that and then after that she usually is the one who does more of the work mm. you know yeah. emotional labor physical labor every kind of sort of labor mm. and so it's almost like uh, the woman needs to be tricked into believing she is everything for the very very like one percent of the yeah. relationship the beginning of relationship. Yeah. yeah 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 it's like a woman needs to be fooled into believing she can for one second in her life um, be the center of attention and be loved in the way that she wants to be loved for everything else for her to be able to endure 
the pain of every of being in a hunting cool relationship. <laughs> yeah, for the next sixty years. <laughs> and um, uh, you know, everything I'm saying is stuff that Gia Tolentino has said um in her book um in the last essay in her book Trick Mirror, the essay called ID Dread, um, and the idea that you know um she says that um. Uh, it's almost like um, an exchange that women have been making it since time in memoriam. The idea that you know she hmm. gets to have this one day a wedding where she has everything on her terms, you know, and she gets to be the center of attention and be loved universally. And then um, after that day, you know, she is like um, statistically less happy. She's statistically, um, you know, more tired and. Um, Everything, everything goes downhill basically. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a trade after. off. It's a trade off, exactly. Yeah, yeah which like is not, wedding. yeah, which is why I, I still weddings. always. I don't like weddings. Well, yeah, um, you Definitely you seem I to don't. have hate. You seem to now have done a three sixty on everything you've done, Helen. You've got married. You changed your surname to your husband's. Yeah, yeah, you've done everything of that, but now you've you know. You you on the other side and you, yeah, you but I'm, all, but I'm always be I'm always like a person that's in the pr- sense of practical rather than romance. Like I, I don't enjoy big weddings, which I didn't have, and for the convenience sake, I changed my surnames and also for my. That's what all women say. Use ignorant. My back in my early twenties, you. I won't, Yeah, ignorant. don't. Yeah. I don't think you were ignorant. You just didn't. You just hadn't discovered them. I, I just haven't thought about it. Yeah, and like I said, you know, everyone falls for the illusion of romance, and once upon a time, I did too. <laughs> I yeah, know. yeah, and I really love. Um, during this time, it seems like um the idea of romance, and you know, is heightened in February mm-hmm. because of this wretched day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have seen some, um. I guess commentary online about therapists um, okay. and psychologists feeling like they really don't enjoy the weeks leading up to Valentine's Day because um, their clients often have expectations. Oh, often yeah. women have expectations of their male partners to do something oh, grand. It's really you know? tiring. Yeah. Um, and and I I kind of want to focus on one thing that um you know to kind of reach the apex of this conversation mm-hmm. which is um this idea of you know romance expectations and where that came from and um have to listen and a few years ago uh <laughs> i think in 2019 wesley morris wrote a piece for the new york times magazine about rom-coms mm-hmm. and through my research i found that in 2014 he had written another piece for grantland about um rom-coms so in the very same vein i guess mm-hmm. but um but in his earlier years of writing about rom-coms and he has this great line in it where he says um in the way that porn has fucked up men's expectations of sex mm-hmm. rom-coms have fucked up women's expectations of love and oh, obviously of course. and i just think that was such a genius point that he drew and it's not something that we have actually really um explicitly spoken about or studied you know in a way that in a way that porn and its side effects for men have been you know researched and analyzed obviously you know um porn and its after and its consequences are much more explicitly harmful than rom-coms you know and their um and the expectations that they have placed on women in regards to romance obviously i understand that but i think it's still a very worthy and useful thing to analyze and talk about you know like when i think about the reason why i i think i struggled to settle down with you know um someone in my adult life like i think i struggled a lot with finding a partner because i had a lot of these expectations generated from Mm rom-coms um that i grew up with and they're not just rom-coms i think a lot of teenage movies in the late 90s to early 2000s have had also really played with my idea of like what i was supposed to expect and what Um, relationship should be how and also, like, um, fantasies, you know, ridiculous fantasies. And here I, I can list a whole host of movies that really kind of set me up for failure, and they include, you know, um, She's the Man, um, Amanda Bynes, um, She's All That, 
you know, probably the most famous of them all. Um, other movies like Mean Girls, Cinderella Story, Hilary Duff, Lizzie McGuire even, um, John Tucker Must Die, another big one from the UK this time, Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging was a big one for me. Um, what a Girl Wants, The Prince and Me, How to Deal, all these movies um, generally had the same kind of spiritual trope, which is that um, a kind of outsider or not so attractive mm-hmm. girl um, ends up winning the love and affection of the most popular guy in high school um, and the hottest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's so interesting how, uh, you know, stuff that you grew up watching as a young person takes years and years of therapy to unpack. Mm, okay, interesting. I never thought about that, but I do know that a lot of Asian women watch K-drama or rom-coms or romance series for the sake because they can't get the romance with their own partner. It's mm. act as a vicarious sort of feeling to imagine yourself in that drama or that movie that you feel satisfied in your real life. Mm. That's how. That's what I've been observing in a lot of, because we 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 kind of like we're six years different, but I think we're we're in a very different generation. Like for all, most of my friends, you know, like half of them are divorced, and um and a lot of them in the relationship, and some of them are unhappy. And I've heard mm. a lot of stories. Like we share what movies or what dramas that we watched and. I think this is one from one of the observation from therapists in Taiwan as well. She said that a lot of middle-aged women, I'm in middle age now, mm-hmm. <laughs> watches K drama. It's because specifically they can't get that kind of feeling in their real life, and they need to have that uh, the the entertainment substitute to inject into their life, mm. so they can maintain their own relationship. It's mm. almost as if. Those men who couldn't get love from their own wife, and they need to seek the love outside of their marriage. But then at the, at the same time, they can't let go of the marriage because it's a social expectation to maintain marriage or something like that. Mm, mm. So I guess how you watch romance, drama, or films differs individually i guess yeah i i, I didn't grow i i didn't grow, i certainly didn't grow up liking to watch um rom-coms until later in life mm. <laughs> i'm not saying that my marriage is shit but i'm just saying that um the, the sort of feeling that you get when you're younger like you jess is very different to me when i was younger i think when i was younger i'm pretty content just watch comedies or action movies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and I think it's so interesting we're talking about this because um, romance is a feminist topic. It is very gendered, you know, mm-hmm. like um, when you think about romantic comedies or like the idea of romance um, as a kind of literary, as a kind of cultural genre in the movies, in theatre, in our books, it's mostly created by women, for women. Yeah. Um, almost as, it's as a very heterosexual like, focus. It's like, yeah, uh, it's almost like a balm or a salve that we need to give ourselves because um because to to make our lives bearable because being in a female body is so shit in this world you know mm. because we are so um biologically and culturally ostracized you mm. know we fucking bleed a lot once a month you know like <laughs> god really did not like women when he created us you know he made our lives way harder miserable um, and, uh, yeah, yeah and so i uh, like romances of female comfort you know yeah it's very comforting but it can also be very like i wouldn't say harmful but um yeah like i I, and i think i i think i'm very different to you in the sense that yeah you're you're way more practical Mm. and you don't you don't really like you're 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 way more practical than i am i'm much more of a romantic i think than you are (laughs) Yeah. And um, I, I think I have suffered for that because I've had expectations that have not been met in my life and about what, you know, what a guy should do. And, you know, it's just it's not useful. It's really not useful to have that kind of thinking um, if you want um, kind of just to be in a 
equal normal relationship that has um that is based on a sense of mutual mutuality than anything else you know well that's the end of our episode this week um yeah uh guys we want to know what you're doing if you are doing anything for uh this valentine's day or galentine's day more, much yeah. much more interested to know what you guys are up to with your friends um i am definitely going to be with my best friends um probably watching a movie my favorite thing to do um, <laughs> the rom-con yeah yeah something from the 90s preferably yeah absolutely okay so that's the end of our episode remember to subscribe to our podcast on spotify google and apple and give us a five star rating if you'd like to support us what we do here at asian bitches down under head to buy me coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry so that's it from us this week and we'll chat to you next time bye